I know that maybe you've heard uh, people say this before, but um, um, sometimes as I go through and I study, there's definite things that I just think to myself, this God, you're talking to me right now. This is this is right here. I need to be aiming all the arrows this direction. There's things, God, that I need to hear in this passage. And one of the benefits about expository preaching is exactly that. That as you go through the Word, you I open it up each week and we're studying through Ephesians and I get to the next section. I've been reading through and I try to read through it a lot, but I get to the next section and and sometimes what I think something means when I first come to it, I find out that's not what it means. Um, you need to click this so I can... There we go. And that happened this week. I was looking through Ephesians and I, I just got to this next spot and I was kind of thinking this is where this was going and, and God just kind of said, Whoa, wait, you're missing it, Matt. This is over this direction. This is the direction you need to go. And uh, it's always humbling when that happens because I recognize my inefficiencies and inabilities to be able to really look at God's Word and, 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 and in and of myself. But I'm thankful for God's Spirit that I can go to it and say, Okay, Lord, I need you to teach me. What does this mean? I need to understand this. Now, for those of you, so I, since I don't have family here today, I need to do a, a quick review, and I had this plan already, but we're in Ephesians chapter 1, and we started in, in September, and for those of you that don't know, Ephesians chapter 1, they have a little introduction, the first two verses, but then verse 3 to verse 14 is one big long sentence in the original Greek. It's one big long sentence. And so Paul wrote, and we, we can't do that. In English, it would be a big a run-on sentence, right? And so we, we can't do that. But he was able to write in such a way, and the Greek language uh, allowed for this type of writing in this kind of poetic sort of way to be able to write this long sentence. Well, then verse 15 to 23 is a second big long sentence. So basically, all of chapter 1, as far as we're concerned, is basically two big sentences. It has a little introduction, and then these two great big long sentences. And this is different than the way Paul writes his other letters. But it's very poetic and it's very what we might call liturgical. It definitely has this, a different feel to how he does these things. And very much it's like a praise to God. He's, he's expanding and expounding. He uses a lot of adjectives and things like that. So when we looked at the first few, that first big long sentence, 3 through 14, the, the theme of that was, how big is your view of God? And you can't read verses 3 through 14 without thinking to yourself, I don't know if my view of God is as big as what it is. I tend to make God a lot smaller than what he is, and God is big. And Paul just expounds on all these things that God has done. God has done this, and I'm thankful for this, and he's done these things here, and he just expands on these things. Well, the second part of this, verses 15 to 23, I want to read it for you. And if you want, you can just listen along or you can follow along. Uh, But I want to read for you just the second sentence that we're getting into that we just started a couple weeks ago. I want to read the whole thing. Verses 15 to 23 says this, For this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know... What is the hope to which he has called you? 
What are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe? According to the working of His great might that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, above every name that is named, not only in this age but also in the one to come. And He put all things under His feet and gave Him as head over all things to the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him who fills all in all. Now, I've mentioned over the last couple of weeks that there's a lot of people in America today, if you talk to the average person, in fact, there's uh, some, something in the news on this just the other day. I was looking through some news and there's some news about this just the other day that there's a lot of people right now that say, I love Jesus, but I don't like the church. I love Jesus, but I don't like religion or the church. Or, or, or maybe, they, maybe they'll say it, what it's become. But they, I love Jesus. Oh, yeah, I love Jesus. But church, don't like it. And I have to wonder, how can that be? I mean, when you listen how Paul describes what's going on here, and notice how he wraps this up by saying, here's the church, right? He says, he says it's his body, the body of Jesus... And it says, in the fullness of Him who fills all in all. I mean, there's no other organization that you can say the fullness of Jesus is part of this organization, so to speak. And I have to say, something is not correct going on. Something's, there's some kind of misconception here. And so I have to ask myself, how can this be? And so kind of the theme for this next one, because Paul just builds up and he uses all these adjectives and he describes all these things and he uses big words throughout the whole thing. And he brings it up to this crescendo at the end where he's talking about Jesus and how Jesus' body is the church. And I ha- so my, my theme for the second half has been, how big is your view of God's church? I mean, are we viewing God's church the way God's church is meant to be viewed? Are Maybe a better question to ask is, is church, and we could forget everybody else and just ask it right here. Are we God's kind of church? Are we God's kind of church? Are we His body? Are we the fullness of Christ? Is that what's going on here? And so we have this theme. How big is your view of God's church? And, and so we're looking at this and we're going through step by step and asking ourselves, how is Paul building up to this crescendo about Jesus and his body, the church, still around today? How does that work? Well, we got a little bit of a hint of that at, uh, in, in two weeks ago. We looked at verse 15. We got some idea about the recipients of this letter, this church in Ephesus and the other ones that received this. Paul says, I heard about your faith. And I've heard about your love for all the saints. And so here you have a, a faithful church, a loving church. And for many, that would be an awesome church right there. We can stop right there. Faithful church, loving church, that's all we need right there. That's good. And yet Paul says, I've heard about this, and so therefore I want to pray for you. And I thought that was interesting. I thought, faithful, loving church, that's all we need. A bunch of faithful, loving people. But yet Paul says there's, there's a little bit more. There's a little bit more. You may put it this way. I've heard of your faith and love. So I know you're a church, a true church. Therefore, I'm going to pray for you. There's more there that I want you to not miss. You know, I think there's two ways to add on to an idea. One is to build on top of it. You could say, okay, we're going to take this and we're going to add to it and build up here. And there's places in the Bible that talk about those kinds of things. But another way that you can add to something 
is to dig deeper, isn't it? In other words, you might say, you're just scratching the surface of what's here. There's so much more going on. And I absolutely believe this is what Paul is doing right here. He's saying, faith and love, oh, you've got it. I mean, this is, but let's, I don't want you to miss something else here. I don't want you to miss this more. We need to dig deeper. We need to dig down. Maybe I could put it this way. Maybe Paul's saying, I've heard about your faith and your love, so I know you're a true church, but I don't want you to miss this. Faithfulness toward Jesus and loving your brothers is just scratching the surface. First, we need divine power, and that's what he went to next. We need the Spirit to give us wisdom and revelation, the Spirit of wisdom and revelation to open us up. And we talk about wisdom, the deep things of God, and this revelation is talking about something that was a secret, the secret things of God. And we need to dig even deeper into this. And so Paul's saying, I'm praying for you that you will have this as well, this Spirit, this divine Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, to do these things. But then he gets into specifically what he's praying for. And there's three things he mentions. These three things. So that's what we're look at. These three things specifically. And then after he says these three things, he continues to go on and kind of build up these words until he gets to this idea of the church. But there's three things specifically that he says. The first one is in verse 18. Okay? So we'll look at verse 18. I'll pop it up on the screen for you too. He says, Having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know. Now, See, before we get into these things, I have to get a little technical here and talk about this. The word enlightened there is the Greek word that I'm not going to attempt to pronounce, but we may ask Katie later. But here's the thing that you need to get from this. It says, having the eyes of your heart enlightened, and that's the word there. It's in the perfect passive participle. And you're thinking, that doesn't mean anything to me. But here's what it does mean. It means completed action. In other words, when he says, having the eyes of your heart enlightened, notice Paul is not praying for further enlightenment, which frankly, that's what I thought, where I thought he was going. I thought Paul was saying, okay, I'm going to pray for you that you will be enlightened now. But that's not what he's saying. In fact, this translation is very good. It says, having the eyes of your heart enlightened. In other words, since you've been enlightened or because you've been enlightened. I mean, we know that Jesus is the, the one who gives light to all men. He's the one that opens the eyes of the blind. And Paul is literally saying, because you've been enlightened, because you've had your eyes opened, I want you to know this. Does that make sense? Because you've been enlightened. We may even put it this way. Because you're saved. Right? Because you're a Christian. Because you've had the eyes of your heart. And that's literally what that says in the Greek. It says the eyes of your heart, like you have eyes, right? The eyes of your heart. And for them, the heart was the inner man. And he says, because you've had the eyes of your heart, the inner you, it's been opened up, so you're no longer blind. God has opened your eyes. I want you to know these things. And ready? Here they are. Number one is this. It says, because, you say, because you're saved, because you've been enlightened, first of all, that you may know, this is the first request, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. Now, I like that, hope. Do you like hope? I love hope. Hope is such a great thing. But for them, the word hope isn't like what we think of. For when we say hope, sometimes it's, it's not a for sure thing. We just go, oh man, I really hope so. You ever have that kind of feeling? Oh, I hope this happens. I hope this thing happens. But that is not at all what Paul is talking about. When he uses the word hope, and in fact, anytime you're going through the New Testament, you read the word hope, it's talking about an expectation. It's not something that's saying, I'm crossing my fingers, I hope so. It's saying, 
I, this is where my hope is. And so we use that word that way sometimes as well, right? This is my hope. This is where my hope is. This is what I'm hoping for, right? It's not talking about that feeling of like, ooh, I'm, I'm hoping. It's talking about my hope is here. And we even say it in songs, right? My hope is in the Lord, right? Uh, or David says in Psalms, uh, the Lord is my hope. And so that's what Paul says, that you may know what is the hope to which he's called you. Calling, right, literally means to call out. So if I were to call you, it would be you're sitting down there and I say, I could do it to my son Sam. I say, Sam, come, right? That's to call him to something. And so Paul says, I want you to know. Did I wake you up? <laughs> I, I want you to know this hope to what I've called you to. There, there's a hope that I've called you to. It's not the same hope you had before. There's a different hope. And I've called you to this hope. And Paul says, I don't want you to miss it. That There's a hope that you've been called to. Frankly, this is no cheap imitation hope. There's a lot of cheap imitations of hope going around. You know that? A lot of us have a lot of hope in a good retirement. Right? Or good health. Comfortable life. Better government. There is hope in no trials. Things to go smooth. No death. Matt, you just said these are cheap. These don't sound cheap to me. These are a lot of the things I'm hoping in. These are fleeting hopes. The type of hope that I want to kind of point you in the direction of, I know in, even in myself, the hope that we're talking about is a different kind of hope. It's, this is the kind of hope that even when you lose your job or your house burns down or when the doctor diagnoses the cancer, or there's been infidelity in the marriage, or maybe a child dies. There's a kind of hope that, that outlasts and outshines. Now, I'm not talking about a, the variation where you, you, you lose the job, but then you say, well, I hope I'll get a new job. There's a hope that can't be diminished. This is the type of hope that Job, when he lost everything he had, lost all of his possessions, lost his means to get new possessions, lost his health, lost every child and it all happened like that. The kind of hope that Job had was a hope that said in Job 121, Naked I came from my mother's womb and naked shall I return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. How can he do that? How can you have that kind of hope? I think part of our way of understanding this is to understand that if we, if we think back, go back to why, why did I mention what hope is, is talking about in the Bible? Is that we're not talking about, we're, we're giving you something, the ability to hope. He's saying there's a, there is a hope that I've called you to. There's an eager expectation. In other words, Paul's saying, I'm, I'm praying that you will know a different kind of hope to hope in. A different expectation. What are you expecting from life? What are you hoping for in life? And Paul's saying, I'm praying that you will know the hope that God's called you. Because he's called you a different kind of hope. It's not the same kind of hope you had before. I might put it this way. This might put it in a better perspective. I'm going to put it this way with this passage. I might call it His Passions. 
In other words, to have our hope in something, our expectation, that really requires a change of passion, doesn't it? What you're, what you're eagerly wanting and hoping for. I mean, this, maybe you can begin to see why this might become a matter of prayer. I mean, how do you change what you want? How do you change where your dreams are at? How do you change that stuff? How does that become different? Can you see why Paul is praying for this? Is it start to, okay, I can see. In uh, Peter, Second Peter 1.10, Peter says, Therefore, brothers, he's talking to a group of believers, and he says, Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. In other words, don't miss it. Don't miss it. There's a calling. There's something God has called you to. Don't miss it. And we could talk about all kinds of things that He's called you to and what His purposes are. But at the bottom line, this is saying, I'm not called you to make you into a hopeful person. I've called you to a different kind of hope. To hope in something different. This brings me to my second one. It kind of folds on to that. Paul says this next. He says, And what are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints. And I hear that when I get all excited, right? His riches and the glorious inheritance in the saints. One way to understand this is beginning to clarify the hope, the hope that I have, right? It's, it's this inheritance that we have. And Paul actually used the word inheritance in that last big long sentence to talk about our inheritance that we're going to get. But notice something in this sentence. What are the riches of whose inheritance? Whose glorious inheritance is he talking about? His. Not ours. In fact, I, after a little research, I found out that absolutely the, the Greek supports this way of understanding. This is talking about God's inheritance. What, what are the riches? I want you to know the riches of His inheritance. What is His inheritance in you, the saints? What in the world is He talking about? talking about his possessions what he has Paul said in another place we are not our own we are bought with a price there's a place in the gospels where Jesus is praying to the father and he says thank you father for those that you've given to me very much so in scripture the idea is that we are his people his glorious inheritance and Paul says I want you to know his glorious inheritance in the saints. I think that maybe we might be getting down to some of the problem, some of the reason why, why people are loving Jesus but hating the church. Maybe one of the reasons is, as we think about church, let, let me just ask this question. Do you live, do I live, do you live as if you're God's possession? Do you live that way? I mean, do you operate as... I'm just simply a possession of God. I've been bought with the price, the precious blood of Christ. Do you live as if you're just His possession, part of His inheritance? What He has, His thing. Do you live that way? That's a tough question to answer, isn't it? I mean, do you live as if you just simply belong to God? Suddenly it does clarify the hope. Suddenly this passage is, frankly, going much differently than I was expecting it to go. When you start talking about hope and start talking about inheritance, I'm talking about, I'm thinking all these things for 
me. And Paul's saying, I'm praying that you're going to know what it is in him. That your hopes and dreams are in him. That, that you're his possession. I want you to know that. I don't want you to miss it. You're a faithful, loving church, but I don't want you to miss that you're God's. You're a glorious possession of His. And you belong to Him. I don't want you to miss these things. Maybe you're a little bit like me. And I'm going to be absolutely honest with you. As I was studying, I got right to this spot and I thought, Lord, I am so dangerously close to missing this entirely. I get so caught up so easily in what I want, my stuff, my things. I, I'm, I'm ready to jump on the, the, okay, my hopes are in the Lord, but then my, my van breaks down. Literally, it did yesterday, found out. And suddenly it pulls me back about what I want and how things are going to go for, for me. And I'm not sitting there going, oh, why would I want? What but so quickly, my, just, just my hopes, just the things that I'm, I'm setting all my stock in. My, I'm, I'm putting all my eggs in a basket and, I, and I've, I'm finding out that so many of them aren't in God, but they're in what, how my life is going to pan out and what's going to happen and how, what's tomorrow going to be like and how things are going to run. And I find out, I don't know about you, but I am so dangerously close I'm just entirely missing it. You know, the biggest culprit for me is the American dream. Let's change the word dream to hope. The American hope. God has called you. He's called you out to a different hope. There's a hope that He's called you to. And I have to say, I'm so close most of my days of completely missing the point of what God has for me that day. My hopes are so quickly pulled back to today and right now. I think maybe even if we expand from being personal to corporately, so much of what we do as churches is kind of the same sort of Mentality. It's about me and my likes and my dislikes and my tastes and what I want and what I have. But we are His body, His possession. And we as a church corporately, are we living as if we're His possession and what He is about? Or instead, are we living for ourselves and what we want and what we like and how things go? I mean, so much of us, uh, what we've done as a church is church has become about all these wrong sorts of things. And we have to ask these questions. Say, okay, wait a minute. Let's go back. Let's, what, what are we doing here? Are we truly His possession? Do we really have His passion? Because if we're going to be His body, we need these things. And Paul's praying for these people. And we should be praying for these people, or for us and for each other, praying to have His passion, right? To to live as His possession. 
the third element is going to swing right here in here, right at the very end. The third element brings these two things together. The third thing that he's praying for is this. It's his power. Notice verse 19 says this. And I just love how Paul says this. Look at all those adjectives in there. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might. And in fact, it just keeps going on after that. That word power that you see there in the Greek, it's the word dynamis, kind of like dynamite, right? I mean, God, right? Of his dynamite, of his power, his dynamis. Or immeasurable greatness. The word greatness is the word megathos in the Greek, right? And here you have immeasurable, which literally means, uh, the word immeasurable, some versions say surpassable. It means to throw beyond anything, as far as can be imagined, then beyond that. His immeasurable megathos, right? His immeasurable greatness. That word working is the word energia, like where we get the word energy. I mean, look at all these things going on in this one little spot. It's almost like Paul is just waxing eloquent, so to speak, to bring about a point. What's his point? Nothing is impossible with God. He's powerful. But notice, where is the power being directed in this? In us. In those who believe. As I was studying this, and I began to realize, as I mentioned before, how dangerously close I am to missing it, I started thinking, okay, I need, this needs to change. This, I, need, I need his passion. I need, his, his, I need to live like I'm his possession. And I started to have this, I, man, I'm a miserable wreck when it comes to this kind of thing. I mean, my capacity to change is pitiful. It's weak. I mean, you have no idea how many times I've set myself up to do some small thing like I'm going to be reading my Bible every day, right? Or some small aspect. I just want to do But this is, Paul's saying, I want you to know a complete inner hope change. And I want you to have a complete different way of living that you're as his possession. It's not about the inheritance you're going to get. We talked about that. Right now, Paul's saying, I want you to understand that you're his inheritance. And he's praying, and I'm thinking... I, the, the smallest things I have trouble changing. And then in swoops verse 19. God is powerful and His power is working. There's energia in you. Toward, literally, in your direction. Toward us who believe. Right at that last moment I'm thinking, oh, how can we know these things? The answer is right there. The power of God to bring about this kind of thing. Suddenly, as the van breaks down and different trials happen, we have the power of God sweeping in to do this exact thing. I have to be honest for a moment if I might stray off into a, a point. I'm many times sickened by and frustrated by when you hear people preaching the power of the cross and the power of Christ and, and they, they, they sell it off as a, a, a small, cheap, trivial thing. Let me explain what I mean. And, and instead of turning us to know the hope to which God has called us to, see, the power of God is there to turn us back to that, that sort of hope, a hope change. 
But instead of turning us back to that, many will preach the power of God and His glorious inheritance of the saints and, and these things here. They, they urge us instead to long even more for the temporary. They, they've turned God, I think, into like a pop-up genie. Do the right stuff. Do what you're supposed to do. God will give you what you want. God will give you what you want. If you just do everything you're supposed to do, God will give you exactly what you want. So pray. Pray God. Pray God. Pray God will give you your health. Pray God will give you prosperity. Uh, you just need to trust enough, and then He will heal you. You need to have faith, and He will restore this relationship. Now, don't get me wrong. God wants you to pray for health. He wants you to pray for these things. There's nothing wrong at all with going to God and saying, I've got a bill, and I need it. But understand this. Every single time in Scripture that Jesus does a miraculous work, He doesn't do it for that thing. He does it so that they will see him. So, for example, Jesus does this amazing thing. He feeds 5,000 people out of five loaves and two fishes. And then he turns around and guess what he does? He starts talking about how he is the bread of life. You see what he did? Yeah, I can do this stuff, but I, want you, I don't want you to miss the real bread. Or there's a time where he's just sitting at a well and he says, hey, can I have a drink of water? And he says, hey, but, you know, I want to give you a drink of living water. And it's me. Right? In fact, he turns back to the water and he says, that kind of water, it doesn't really satisfy you. There's something else. Or how about when there's a man that's been born blind and he gives him sight and then he starts talking about how he is the light and he wants to give men sight to see spiritually. The things that God does, these miracles that he did, don't miss the real power of God that's working in us. Did you see that in that passage? His great might that's working in us. The real miracle that God has is to save sinners from their way. That's the real thing. Do we glorify God for healed cancer? Absolutely. But we glorify Him even more when in the middle of that physical healing, there's spiritual healing that's coming about. You see that? That's the thing. Lazarus died Jesus comes along raises him from the dead Lazarus is he still walking around anywhere today no see the things that he did those are temporary and he is always pointing us not to this temporary hope but to something beyond that something permanent Christ himself the hope right Christ himself is our hope and that's the direction that we need to go. He wants us to know the power simply because to know His power is to know His passions and to know those possessions. That's what it means to know His power. You know, I thought about how can we put this into practice. You know, in James we talk about this all the time. To, to, to hear God's Word but walk away and to not put it into practice is, is to, to be deceived. And so we always have to ask the question. And so for a while I thought... Well, we could start asking this question. Well, definitely one of the things we need to do is to say, well, we need to pray. Obviously, I mean, from this, we see Paul is praying for these people, so we need to be praying for each other. But instead of saying, oh, we need to pray, because we've heard that before, haven't we? You ever had a pastor say, you need to pray more? Let me ask you this. You ever, you ever been sitting there, hear somebody talk about prayer, and go, I need to pray more? Raise your hand if you've ever thought in your life, I need to pray more. <laughs> Absolutely. The question that we have to ask, though, is this. I'm going to put it up here. Why don't you pray? 
Why don't you pray? You know, you're, you know you need to pray more. Why don't you pray? Uh-oh. That's okay. That's so embarrassing. I feel for you. I do. Right? But why don't you pray? I mean, ask yourself the question, why don't you pray? I mean, we know that's, we know that's a, nece- a necessary thing. Why don't we do it? I think simply enough, if we're really honest with ourselves, I don't think we need to. Oh, no, I, I know I need to pray. It, the things that you know that you need and you know you need them, you go do it. We do exactly what we want to do. If we want, that we want, this is really what I want, and when we restrain ourselves because there's something else that we want even more than that, we do what we want. The real thing that we have to ask is, why aren't we praying? Maybe, it's, maybe this isn't true for any of you. Maybe I'm speaking to myself here, but I know for a fact that the reason why I don't pray as much as I, I should be praying, if we want to put it that way, is because, frankly, I don't see the need. I hate to admit that. But I think we need to dig deep and ask ourselves, why don't we pray? We think it's going to fix the problem. We do it, don't we? In fact, we may find out that when it really impacts something that we really want, suddenly we find ourselves doing it. You ever have that happen before? Oh, suddenly, oh, I need a a vehicle fix here. Oh, you're praying. Where'd that prayer come from? What's going on? Oh, somebody's sick. All of a sudden we're praying. Why? You're the same person you were. What's going on? Maybe the problem is that we've, the hope isn't in the right place. See, because we'll pray about the physical thing so quickly, won't we? We'll jump on that right away. As soon as we know a physical need, I mean, as soon as I have one anyway... You know, maybe you're different, but as soon as I've got something going wrong, I'm like, oh, Lord, please, I need, you know, oh, this, and I'm praying. Oh, I'm, sometimes, man, I'm praying all the time. I'm very fervent, right? And I've missed it, frankly. My greatest need is spiritual. What I really need to be praying for is that I, I shouldn't want these things so much. I absolutely believe that's what Paul's talking about. See, you have faith and love, church, in Ephesus. You have faith and love. I've heard about it. I'm thankful for it. I want to pray for you that you don't miss it. I want to pray for you you don't miss it. I I don't know about you, but as I was going through this and I started thinking about hope and and God began to, to, to open it up a little bit and I could see clearly my need, how much I need real spiritual power to change. So we have to ask ourselves, if we're not praying, one of the problems is that we're just not seeing ourselves accurately. Which then again should stir us up to pray, shouldn't it? Lord, please help me to see myself for who I am. As you begin to see your greatest spiritual need is that, you may find that you begin to pray for that even more. This leaves me feeling... I get that feeling. You ever had that feeling when you're driving down the road and suddenly you realize your car's on E and you have this thought in the back of your head, I think it's been on E for a long time and there's not a gas station in sight. And like, I wasn't paying attention. What is going on? 
I, I get that feeling sometimes when I start thinking this way and I start thinking, man, I'm, I've been operating on E for a while here. You know, the truth of it is, as we ask ourselves why don't we pray, the truth of it is the real application that we need to put in practice. We, we can say it as much as we want, but we need to, we need to desperately cry out to God because I know as much as, I, as much as I'm standing here right now before you and I'm sitting here going, Oh, Lord, I know so much that I need to pray. I want to stop and I want to pray right now almost. And I just want to, I don't want to forget. I know that I'll, it'll, it'll, it'll be, leave my head in 20 minutes. It, it'll be gone. I, I won't even be thinking about it anymore. I can sit here and go, man, my hopes are in the wrong thing so often. And, 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 I, it'll go. It'll, it'll be gone. I'll forget about it. I mean, we need to recognize that desperate state that we're in to really cry out to God and say, Lord, change us. And when we have those moments of clarity where God is working in our hearts to, to not forget to pray for each other, and to pray for me, and I'll pray for you, and we'll lift each other up and say, Lord, we want, the, we want these people to know hope, the hope that you've called them to. Not just the feeling, Lord, we're praying that they will know hope. We pray, God, that, you will, that they will know your power. We pray that they will know your glorious inheritance to be found in the saints. We can pray for these things. And we must pray for these things. And every single time it crosses your mind, pray for these things. Lord, wait. Oh, I just remembered. Lord, don't let me forget. And that's where we need to be. There's a passage in Corinthians where Paul is talking to a church that's been going astray. And he writes this to them. After he confronts them, he writes this to them. He says, examine yourselves to see whether... You are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or, or, or do you not realize this about yourselves? That Jesus Christ is in you? Unless, indeed, you fail to meet the test. There's not a place in Scripture that you can get away from these thoughts and these ideas that we need to constantly be examining ourselves. Paul writes to churches all the time and says, make sure you're really in the faith. Making that one-time profession, that's not how you know. You know because you're in the faith. So test yourselves to see. Be on guard. Be careful. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I just thank you for this day. God, I pray, Lord, and I pray in desperation, Lord, that today that you will not let a one of us walk out of this building. Lord, don't let any of us walk out of here today without that moment, Lord, where you've, you've enlightened us and you've given us this, but Lord, help us not to miss it, Lord. I pray for everyone in this room, as Paul prayed, Lord, that we would know the hope that you've called us to. God, I pray that we would know the glorious inheritance that you have in the saints. I pray also that we would know the power, the great, immense, amazing power of Christ. God, I pray that we would know these things. Lord, if we've been saved, if we've been enlightened since we've been enlightened, God, I pray that we would know these things. Lord, I ask that you would help us to continue to pray for each other. Lord, through this week, as we bring, lead into the next week, help us to pray these things again and again. Lord, help us to know. Lord, help us not to miss it. 
And so, Lord, we pray these things. And as you've commanded, Lord, we pray these things, not in our name, but, Lord, in Jesus' name we pray these things. Trusting that you will answer this prayer. And so we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.